Amen. Well, our series, as we said, for this particular uh, week has been on sneak peek. Okay, sneak peek. And as anybody new here, you haven't been here before. You don't know what sneak peek is all about. Sneak peek is simply us going behind the curtain or pulling back the veil to see what is on the other side of death. Okay, or of course the afterlife. We have been giving you throughout these few weeks already what now we believe concerning the afterlife. Last week we gave you what we believe concerning the afterlife. One's final destination is not mediation. It is not annihilation. It is not cessation. It is not reincarnation. We believe that one's Final destination after they leave this world and this life is a separation between two destinations. It is a separation between either damnation or glorification. Separation from God or being together with God for all of eternity. And this is found in Luke 16, 19. That was the scripture that we talked about last week. Now, you may say, or there may be some would say, why in the world would you believe Luke 16, 19 or anything else about the Bible? Well, that took us to the point of letting you know why we believe in what we believe. And that was our first session, why we believe in what we believe. We said we believe in the word of God, first and foremost, because of its history, because of its consistency, because of its accuracy, and because of its prophecy. Okay, If you don't believe the Bible, the Word of God, for any reason, you can believe for those four reasons. Its history, its consistency, its accuracy, and its prophecy. That is why we believe in the Word of God. But then we believe in the God of the Word. Because of the creation that's being created. As we said before, if you want to know something about the creator, all you have to do is look at what's been created. And when we look at what's been created, we see that space and time and matter have been created. They got a start. It's all by design. Therefore, that means it had to come from someone who is spaceless, who is timeless, who is immaterial, who is intelligent to do it all, and who is personal to decide to do it. And so therefore, when you take the truth that you know about the Bible and the truth that you know about the creator, you get the God of his word and the word of God. Therefore, the one who is on the other side is trustworthy. He is trustworthy about what's on the other side. And so that's why we go to him to see what is behind the veil or on the other side of the curtain. So with all of that said and with all of that in mind, what prompted this particular series uh, was that we had four questions submitted to us concerning the afterlife. And we're still not going to answer the questions today. We're going to try and uh, end our series next week by answering those questions. But uh, if you haven't been here, these were the four questions that were asked. What happened to the Christians who died before the cross? When Jesus came to die for our sin, obviously anybody who died in Christ 
goes to heaven. We know that. But what happened to the Christians or those who believed in God and his word? What happened to them when they die before Jesus Christ in the cross? Along with that, what is paradise and what is the third heaven? Question number two is this. Is the lion laying down with the lamb biblical? If so, where is it and what is its meaning? So I see all the artwork, all the uh, pictures and the uh, statues of the lion laying down with the lamb. Is that truly biblical? If so, where is it in the Bible and what does it mean? Number three, is purgatory real? And if so, what is it? And then lastly, number four, if I deny Christ to save my life, will I go to hell or would God understand? All of those questions are dealing with some aspect of the afterlife or what is to come after death or on the other side of the curtain. And so next week we're going to be uh, going in depth to answer uh, all four of those questions. But tonight, because I gave you what we believe about the afterlife, the separation between damnation and glorification. And we gave you the story of the rich man who, who dies and lifts up his, his eyes in Hades or hell. And he sees Lazarus who's being comforted in Abraham's bosom. And that may scare some people to know and understand that hell is real. That the lake of fire is real. And it is a place that you don't want to end up. You don't want to go there. And fortunately for us, it's not even a place that God designed for us. Hell was never created for us. The Bible says that hell was created for Lucifer and the angels that followed him. However, if you follow him now, you will follow him then. So after we went through that particular story, which we believe is a true story and not just a parable, it may have scared some people. It may have shaken some people up. And so what we want to do is give you some assurance. And what we want to do is talk to you today about how one's destination is determined, okay? How one's final destination is determined. Or in other words, how will you end up where you will end up, okay? In the 60s, there was a particular movie, I believe with Clint Eastwood, called The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, okay? Now, I never saw this movie, <laughs> but I do know of its reference because... I guess in this movie, there were three men who decided to team up together for a particular goal or purpose. But ever since this movie came out, the good, the bad, and the ugly have been used to describe different things, different people, different places. For example, if you ever went house shopping, okay, you may have noticed you found some good houses, <laughs> you found some bad houses, and you went through some ugly houses, right? If you look back in your life about all the different jobs that you had, you may say, I had some good jobs, I had some bad jobs, then I had some downright ugly jobs, okay? The good, the bad, and the ugly have been described or used to describe different situations in our life to put it in these three particular categories to let us know uh, how we feel about what we saw or where we were. In the same way, I believe these three categories can be used with the determination of one's destination. These three categories, the good, the bad, and the ugly, can be used as well to categorize the determination of one's final destination. 
And that's what we're going to give you today. And we're going to try and give you enough time to answer some of your questions as well. But this is part three of our series, Sneak Peek. We're simply entitling The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Now, before we get into this, you may be saying, now, wait a minute. How can we have three different categories when we only have two different destinations? (laughs) If we concluded last week that the afterlife is simply one of two destinations, damnation or glorification, If there's only two different destinations, how can there be three different categories to that destination? Well, it is because of the one word that determines one's destination. And that one word is justice. Justice is the word that will determine one's final destination. Okay? So what is justice? Let us define justice real quick. Justice, simply put, is to right the wrong, okay? To right the wrong is justice, or to give or to get what's deserved, that is justice, okay? If somebody is going to render justice, that means they are going to right the wrong. If somebody is going to receive justice, that means they're going to get what they deserve. That is justice. And we see that even in our vernacular, in the situations we find uh, in society today. Anytime we have a major court case or something on TV, a trial, a big trial of some sort, Anytime the verdict is rendered and is not what we expect, you will see protests, you will see picketing, you will see rioting, you will see all kinds of things. And what they will be saying is no justice, (laughs) no justice. And they may even say no justice, no peace. The reason why there is chaos out here, the reason why there is a tumult out here or a riot out here, because there was no justice that was served. And therefore, no justice, no peace. What are they saying when they say that? They're saying that you didn't render what was right. You did not right the wrong and you did not give that person what they rightfully deserve because that is what justice is. That's what justice means. Justice simply means to right every wrong or to give or to get that which you deserve. That is justice. And because God is just, this is what you need to know and understand. God, yes, is a lot of things. God is love. God is full of mercy and grace and compassion and understanding and forgiveness. He is all of those things, but he is also at the same time just. He is just, and therefore because God is just, you have these three categories to define these two destinations. As a matter of fact, it is because God is just that you have these two destinations to begin with. People ask the question, why can't God just let everybody go to heaven? Because then God wouldn't be just. (laughs) Why wouldn't God be just if he just allowed everybody to go to heaven? Because everybody is not deserving of heaven. 
And if God were to simply let everybody go to heaven, he would cease from being a just God. For the very same reason when you are upset when a judge lets a criminal go free. If there's somebody who is standing trial for doing something you feel they are guilty of and that judge or that jury lets them go free, you say no justice. That judge is not just. That jury is not just because they did not render what was right. They did not give the person what they deserve. Well, if that's how we feel about our worldly judges, how much more should we feel about our heavenly father and our God? He is a just God. And because he is a just God, he can't just let bygones be bygones. He can't look the other way. He can't turn a blind eye. He can't sweep it under the what under the rug. He must judge the wrong that has been done. If he does not judge the wrong that has been done, he is not a just God. So this is why God can't simply just let everybody into heaven because then he wouldn't be just because everybody is not deserving. So your question then would be, well, then who is deserving of heaven? If God simply can't let everybody into heaven because everybody is not deserving of heaven. And if God did that, he would not be just. Then who is deserving of heaven? Who can God allow or bring into heaven and still be a just God? Well, to understand the determination of one's destination you have to understand the standard of God. Right? To understand the determination of one's destination, you have to understand the standard of God. What God demands, what God requires. You know, most people who believe in heaven also believe that they're going to heaven, right? <laughs> Or at least they would say, I hope I'm going, right? You ask people, you know, you believe in heaven? Yes, I believe in heaven. You believe in God? Yes, I believe in God. You believe in going to heaven? Yes, I believe I'm going to heaven. And what is the reason they will usually give you to let you know why they're going to heaven? What do they usually say? Because I'm a good person, okay? <laughs> because I'm a good person. I believe that I'm a good person, <laughs> I believe that I am good. I mean, I, I, I work. I take care of my family and my kids. I pay my taxes. I don't commit any crimes. I don't, I don't end up on the 6 o'clock news. I've never been in jail. I believe I'm a good person. And so that's why I believe that my final destination will be heaven. Because out of these three, the good, the bad, and the ugly, most people will believe that they are good. They will tell you, well, I, I'm, I'm not really bad, <laughs> and I'm certainly not ugly. <laughs> so out of these three, I believe I'm a good person. The reason why they believe that and the reason why they will tell you that is because they are comparing themselves not to God. They are comparing themselves to one another. They're saying, I, I'm not like the guys on Skid Row. I'm not like the guys in prison. I'm not like the guys on drugs and, and the guys committing crimes and all these other deadbeat dads and all. It is because they are comparing themselves to each other. They feel they are good rather than bad or ugly. <laughs> when we compare ourselves to each other, it's good for us or it's easy for us to see ourselves as being good. But guess what? 
each other is not the standard. Okay, God is not going to take your neighbor. He's not going to take your pastor. He's not going to take your spouse. He's not going to take your co-worker. He's not going to take anybody to compare you with on Judgment Day. Because none of us are the standard, okay? Jesus Christ himself is the standard, okay? Jesus Christ himself is the standard. So it's interesting that being good is actually the standard. So both God and men agree that being good is the way that you go to heaven. God will tell you being good is the way you go to heaven. Man says being good is the way you go to heaven. So both God and man both agree that being good is the way to go to heaven. What God and man disagree on is the definition of what good means. (laughs) That's where the disconnect comes from. That's where the disillusion comes from man. We all or we both agree that Being good is the standard. Where we disagree on is the definition of what it means to be good. Okay, You have the potential of having about 6 billion different definitions of what it means to be good. (laughs) I may ask somebody over here, what do you think good means? They may give me an answer. I ask you over here, what do you think it means to be good? They may give me a completely different answer. Somebody in Russia may have a different answer of what it means to be good. Somebody in China have another uh, definition of what it means to be good. So we have the potential of having about 6 billion different definitions of what it means to be good. Now, whose definition do you think God is going to use? His. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) God is not going to use your definition of what it means to be good. He's not going to use my definition or anybody else's definition. The definition of good is going to come from himself. So while we both agree that you need to be good to go to heaven, we disagree on what it means to be good. So let's look at what it means then to be good according to God. In Romans 3, 9, in Romans chapter 3, 9, it says this. What then are we better than they? Okay. What Paul is doing is he's saying, are we supposed to be comparing ourselves to each other? And if so, are we better than the people that I just described? And he's giving us a warning saying, be careful of that. Remember, Jesus said the same thing. When a tower fell and it burned, he says, do you suppose that those people were more wicked than anybody else? Is that why they fell? Is that why they died? He says, no. I tell you, if you don't repent, you too will likewise perish. Do not compare yourself to anybody else because nobody is the standard. He says, what then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. Every single one, both Jew and and Gentile is under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, the Bible says. No, not even one. (laughs) There is none who understand. 
There is none who seek after God. And they have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not even one. Why does God say that there is none who are good? I mean, you may have thought yourself as being good and you may have some people in your life. Say, I, I look at their life and I would say they have a good life and they're a good person and uh, everybody pretty much has a, a pretty good spirit about them. So why does the Bible say there is none that are good? <laughs> There's none who are righteous. There's none who good. Everybody has turned aside. Everybody's done their own thing. Therefore, there is none that are good. Why does God say that? Because he's using his definition. That's why. He is not using your definition of good. He's not using my definition of good. He's using his definition of what it means to be good. And so he tells us in verse 23 exactly why he says there is none who are good. In Romans 3.23, it says this, why is none good? For all have sinned. That's why. For all have sinned and therefore fall short of the glory or the standard of God. The glory or the standard of God is perfection. Okay? God is a perfect being. He's a perfect God and therefore demands perfection. He will not take anything less than perfection. Like we keep it 100, well, he keeps it 100%, okay? It's not enough to get 50%, 80%, 99.9%. God does not grade on a curve. It's like if Jesus were to come here and he says, anybody who can touch this ceiling can go to heaven. If you can touch this ceiling, <laughs> you can go to heaven. Now, it doesn't matter if I can jump higher than you <laughs> or you can jump higher than me. doesn't matter that you got eight feet up the wall or even ten feet up the wall. If you don't touch the ceiling, you don't go because that is the standard. <laughs> the standard that God demands, the standard that God requires is perfection. No spot, no wrinkle, no blemish, no sin at all whatsoever. And because all have sinned in some way, some fashion or form, all of us have failed. <laughs> all of us have failed and all of us have fallen short of the goal, short of the glory of God, short of the standard. Again, we always use this scripture, but James 2.10 tells us this. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in how many points? One. <laughs> says you're guilty of them all. <laughs> Out of the 613 different laws and commandments you find in the Old Testament, if you are able to keep 612 of them, <laughs> as if you could, <laughs> but if you were managed all your life to keep all 612 laws and commandments because you missed that one, God says, it's like you broke them all. <laughs> it is like you, why? Because God's standard is perfection. 
God demands perfection. That is his definition of what it means to be good. It's the same way in our judicial system. If I go rob a bank, I can't go to the judge and say, well, I know I robbed that bank, but I didn't murder anybody. (laughs) I wasn't selling drugs. No, no. All it takes is one crime for you to be a criminal and go to where criminals go. And in the same way with God, all it takes is one sin to show that you are a sinner and therefore go where sinners go. All it takes is one because God's standard is perfection. With any thing that we do, no matter how small, how insignificant you may think it is, God says that's enough to disqualify you. You know, we would never think of somebody going to jail for jaywalking, right? (laughs) We would think that's ridiculous. (laughs) You're going to send this guy to jail for for jaywalking? We would never consider that to be just. But God does. Can you all get that for me, please? It's the other one there. But this is exactly how God judges, okay? The smallest, minute, uh, insignificant thing we think that uh, we're okay with God with, God says that is enough to disqualify you. A white lie, <laughs> fabrication, well, I, I just bent the truth a little bit, guilty. <laughs> Guilt, why? Because God's standard is perfection. This is why Satan tried for 40 days to tempt Jesus. Okay, the Bible only gives us three different temptations that Jesus faced uh, when he was in the wilderness. But the Bible says Satan was there tempting him for 40 days. The reason why Satan was tempting Jesus for 40 days is because if he could just get him to fall one time, if he can just get him to sin, to stumble in just one area, he would have ceased from being qualified from being the Messiah. Just one time and that would have been it. But the Bible says there was no sin found in Jesus. The enemy has come and he has found nothing in me, Jesus said. Because God's standard is perfection and we have all fallen short from that. Proving, listen, proving that none of us are good. None of us are good. Either because of the good that we omit. You know, some people say, well, I think I'm a good person because I do this and I do that and I do that. But is there something good that you should be doing that you're not doing? If there is, guess what? That's sin. (laughs) Because the Bible says sin is to know to do right and not do it. So you can't pile all of your good deeds and all of your good acts and hope that they uh, pile up higher than all your bad deeds. That's not how God is going to judge you. Okay, so we prove that we are not good by the good we omit and by the bad we commit. (laughs) You know, there's some things that we do. You may go and say, you know, I I don't smoke, drink, cuss or chew, nor hang out with those that do. So I must be good. I must be righteous. Well, you may not do those things, but are you doing some things? (laughs) Can I find something? Can God find something that you are doing that is against his word? If so, guilty. You're not good. So we prove that we are not good either by the good we omit, by the bad we commit, 
or even by the ugly we don't want to admit. <laughs> even by the ugly we don't want to admit proves that we are really not good. What do you mean by that, Pastor? Well, what if, for example, God said, you can do whatever you want. There would be no negative consequences to it. Okay, Whatever you wanted to do, whoever you wanted to do, <laughs> you can do it <laughs> and there would be no consequences. I won't punish you. I won't send you to hell. I won't... Uh, hold back any blessings from you. You'll still go to heaven. You'll still have my presence. You'll still have everything that I have for you. There will be no, you will know that it's sin. You will know it's against me, but no negative consequences will come to it. What would you do if that were the case? And let me tell you this. If anything comes to your mind, guilty. (laughs) If anything or anyone just popped up in your mind, (laughs) It shows that you really are not good. There are those of us who do what's good and what's right, not because we want to. We just don't want the negative consequences that come with it. So we don't go and have an affair, not because we don't want to, because we don't want to lose our spouse. We don't want to lose our children. We don't go rob a bank, not because we don't want to, because we don't want to end up in jail. God judges the heart. Not just the action, that's what the whole point of Jesus coming to the Pharisees and telling them about, you have heard it said, but I say. Because he would go to them and say, you think you are good because you haven't murdered anybody. But you wanted to. (laughs) You think you are good because you haven't committed adultery. But you wanted to. So if anything pops up into your mind, if you think I could, God will let me do whatever I want and get away with it, no consequences will come my way. If anything or anyone pops up into your mind, it only proves that you really are not good. And neither am I. <laughs> so if everybody is bad and no one is good, according to God, yet good is the standard How does anyone go to heaven? If we all here are bad, according to God's definition, we all here have sinned and we all here fall short of God's glory or or God's standard. But yet his standard is good, is perfection. How does one go to heaven? Well, 2 Corinthians 5.21 2 Corinthians 5, 2 and 1 says this, For he, God, made him, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, (laughs) to be sin for us. Why? So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Bible says it is not because you are good that you are going to heaven. If you are going to heaven, and it's not because you are good. It is because you have been placed in the one who is good. That is the only reason why you are going to heaven if you're going. Not because of your goodness, not because of your righteousness. The Bible says our most righteous deeds are like filthy rags to him. 
How in the world will we ever fix our mouth to compare what we do with what Jesus did? Well, I go to church now and I pay my tithes and offerings and I go and I feed the, the, the hungry and clothe the naked and go on mission trips and do it as if that can be compared to what Jesus Christ did for us. No. If you are going to heaven, it's because you have been placed in the one who is good, not because you are good. Jesus Christ came, in other words, to make the bad good. That is why there are those who are now deserving of heaven. Because you have been made good. Not because you are good, but because you have been made good by the grace and mercy of God. Jesus Christ himself satisfied the justice of God. The justice of God or the requirement that God had because of our sin, Jesus satisfied. That's why he is called the propitiator of our sins. Okay, The word propitiation simply means satisfier or pacify. When Jesus bore all of the sins of all of humanity on himself and he died paying the price, because the Bible says the wage of sin is what? Death. That's the wage. <laughs> That's the cost. That's the price. That's the penalty for sin. The wage of sin is death. And the soul that sins will surely die. Well, even though Jesus never sinned, not one day of his life, the Bible says he became sin for us. Meaning he bore all of our sins upon himself so that when he died, he satisfied the justice of God. God didn't turn a blind eye to your sin. Some people have a problem with the God of the, of the Old Testament. They say, I like the God of the New Testament. <laughs> the God of the Old Testament, I mean, he's like some tyrant. I mean, he, he brings down fire from heaven and he kills everybody and all. I like the God of the No, same God. <laughs> same God. <laughs> what God demanded and required in the Old Testament, he demands and requires of the New Testament. The only difference is he does not demand it or require it of you. That's the only difference. But God didn't turn a blind eye to your sin. He didn't forget about your sin. No, your sin was dealt with. Your sin was dealt with on the cross of Christ. So God's justice was satisfied. God didn't forget it. He didn't turn a blind eye to it. He he didn't ignore it. God's justice for your sin, for my sin, was satisfied. And because the justice of God was satisfied that enabled the mercy and the grace of God to be implicated or implemented. Now that God's justice has been satisfied, when Jesus said it is finished, the Father in heaven said, satisfied. That's why you can't do anything else to to earn your salvation. You can't add to your salvation. (laughs) There's nothing else you can do. You can't earn brownie points with God. Well, I know we're not saved by the law, but let me go ahead and try and keep it anyway. No, (laughs) you are canceling out grace if you do that. There is absolutely nothing you can do to earn your salvation or add to what Jesus Christ has already done for you. God's justice has been fully and completely satisfied. So now that God's justice has been satisfied, He can now implement 
mercy, and grace. Well, if justice is giving you what you deserve, mercy would be not giving you what you deserve. We are all deserving of hell. We are all deserving of being eternally separated from God because of our sin. We are all deserving of that. But because the justice of God has been rendered, God can now give us mercy, not giving us what we truly deserve. And he doesn't even stop there. I mean, that would be enough. (laughs) If there was annihilation, if there was cessation, that would be enough. Thank God I don't have to go to hell now. God doesn't stop there, though. He said, not only has my justice been satisfied and therefore I'm able to render to you mercy, not giving you what you deserve. I can also give you grace. Well, what is grace? If justice is giving you what you deserve and mercy is not giving you what you deserve, grace is giving you what you don't deserve. And neither one of us in here deserve God's goodness. We don't deserve God's presence. We don't deserve God's love. We don't deserve God's heaven. None of us in here deserve it. Why? Because none of us in here have done anything to earn it. Because to earn it, you must be what? Good. And good in God's eyes is what? Perfect. (laughs) So God is saying, not only am I not going to give you what you deserve, I'm going to give you what you don't deserve, the good that you don't deserve, my presence, my kingdom, my heaven forever. Why? Because the justice side of God has been rendered. So because of all of that and because of God's justice, there are now three categories to determine uh, the determination of God's destination for us. You have good, those those who receive Christ. You have bad, those who refuse Christ. And then you have the ugly, those who are against Christ. The good would be the ones who receive Christ. You are now considered good by God because you are in Christ. The bad are the ones who still refuse Christ. Doesn't matter that they go to work, take care of their kids and family, pay their taxes, don't commit any crimes. In God's eyes, they're still bad. Okay? So you have those who are good because they've received Christ. You have those who are bad because they refused Christ. And then you have the ugly, those who are against Christ. Those who are vehemently, whether in their action, in their words, in their deeds, who have actually come against Christ and the things that he is trying to do here on earth. Because this would be the question that some people have. You mean to tell me that my poor little grandmother who's never heard a fly, never did anything wrong in her life, never committed any crimes or went to jail, and she did everything right all the time. She just didn't believe in Jesus. That was the only thing about her. She just didn't believe in Jesus. She didn't ever surrender her heart to Jesus. You mean to tell me she is going to go to the very same place Hitler's going to be at? (laughs) The same place Stalin's going to be at? Same place Osama bin Laden's going to be at? You mean to tell me that's what's going to happen? Well, not necessarily. Not necessarily. I know this is a controversial uh, point, so you don't have to accept it or receive it if you don't like, but there are certain scriptures in the Bible that would indicate that hell is not equal for everybody. 
There are certain scriptures in the Bible that would indicate that hell is not equal for everybody who is there. Just like heaven, the Bible talks about the rewards that we would get. Does, does everybody get the same rewards? No. God gave us the parables of the, the stewards. The one who gained 10, he gained 10 more when his master came back. The one who gained five, did he get 10 like the first? No, he got five. <laughs> the one who didn't get anything, even that which he had was taken away from him. The Bible talks about in Corinthians how uh, of the judgment seat of God where God is going to take all of our works, he's going to burn it and see if anything is left. If something is left, you will be rewarded accordingly. So even heaven or the kingdom of God is not as equal as we would think it would be. Well, there are certain scriptures that would indicate the same is true about hell as well. So let me give you a few of those scriptures before we prepare to close and land this plane. Just like saints are rewarded differently in God's kingdom, sinners are tormented differently. And these are some of the scriptures that would indicate this. In Luke 10, 10, in Luke 10, chapter 10, or chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus is about to send out the disciples to go evangelize, to preach, okay, to share the good news of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Notice what he says here in verse 10. He says, but whoever or whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, they refuse you, they reject you, will go out into its streets and say, the very dust of your city which clings to us we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near you, but I say to you that it will be more tolerable in that day. What day is he talking about? Judgment day. It's not talking about the day that they're in. He's talking about judgment day. It will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. God says when you go to this city and you preach the gospel to them and they reject the gospel, on the day of judgment, it will be more tolerable for Sodom. You all know what happened with Sodom and Gomorrah, right? God says it's going to be more tolerable for Sodom than for that city who rejected the truth that was presented to them. He goes on further and says this, Woe to you, Terizon, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But here it is again. But it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. God is saying it is going to be more tolerable for some over others. Okay. Another scripture that alludes to this is Luke 12, 47. In Luke 12, 47, Jesus again is given the uh, description of when G uh, Jesus or the master comes back. He wants to find his servants doing what they're supposed to be doing. But watch what he says in verse 47 of Luke 12. And that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know, yet committed things deserving of stripes, shall be beaten with few. Okay. 
Now these again, of course, are just indications that hell isn't equal for everybody. Okay? That there are going to be some who are going to have more torment in their final destination than others. Now, according to the rich man in Luke 16, hell is not tolerable for anybody. Okay? He was saying, send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. So don't get me wrong. Hell is not going to be tolerable for anybody. <laughs> but it may be more tolerable for some than for others. So again, God is not going to take your sweet little old grandmother who never did anything that we would think would be bad or wrong, but just didn't give her life to Jesus in the same uh, torment as someone like Hitler who came actually against God and against his people to God. Now again, that's debatable. You don't have to accept it or not, but it's just some food for thought for you, okay? But what is not debatable is what is required for heaven. And that is receiving rather than rejecting Jesus Christ. That is not up for debate. You must receive rather than reject Jesus Christ. And what these two stories had in common was this. Everybody had the opportunity to receive. The disciples went to this city and preached the gospel, preached the kingdom, preached the word of God. Jesus went to these cities and he performed these works and miracles. So all of these people, they had the opportunity either to receive or reject. And because they rejected, God says it will be more tolerable for Sodom than for them because Sodom didn't necessarily have that same opportunity. So this is not up for debate. What will you do with Jesus Christ? Because God's standard is good and because Jesus Christ is the only one that is good, you must be found in Jesus Christ to be considered good yourself and therefore enter the kingdom of God. We see this even in the story of the rich man. You know, when we read that story last week, I said, don't jump to conclusions. Don't think you know why the rich man ended up where he ended up and Lazarus ended up where he ended up. Some may read this story and think, well, the rich man went to hell because he was rich. No. <laughs> there are plenty of people in the Bible who were rich. That God gave them their riches. Abraham was rich. Moses was rich. David was rich. Solomon. There was none more richer than Solomon. And God was the one who gave those riches to Solomon. So this rich man did not end up in hell because he was rich. Well, why did he end up in hell then? Well, you go back to Luke 16, 27. He alludes to why he's there when he is asking Abraham to send Lazarus to his brother's house, right? He said, then I said in Luke 16, 27, then he said, I beg you, therefore, father, that you would send Lazarus to my father's house. For I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. And Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets or the word of God. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will what? Repent. <laughs> if one goes to them from the dead, they will give all their money away? No, that's not what he said. <laughs> they will stop being selfish? No, that's not what he said. If one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. They will turn. 
The reason why the rich man was in hell is not because he was rich. It's because he never repented. (laughs) He never turned. And he knows his brothers are just like him. They refuse to repent. They refuse to believe. And therefore, they will end up in the same place because that is God's standard. Because of God's justice, repentance is the requirement and the determination of one's destination. In the 70s, we had a slang word just like today, but there was one particular word in the 70s that caused everybody now to have to have clarity concerning the word bad. It caused everybody now to kind of get some clarity or some distinction with the word bad because up until the 70s, bad meant what? Bad. (laughs) Oh, but now bad could also mean good. (laughs) Even Michael Jackson came out with a song and an album titled, I'm Bad. And he wasn't talking about bad meaning bad. He was talking about (laughs) bad meaning good. But even now, when it comes to the determination of one's destination, the word good must be clarified. The word good must be clarified as well. Because there are so many people out there who think they know and understand God's definition of goodness. But we must clarify what it truly means to be good so that we may not end up where the bad and the ugly will go. So I believe God's challenge to us today is, number one, we make sure that we are, in fact, good. And we are, in fact, deserving of heaven, not because of anything we have done or haven't done, but because we have simply repented, turned to Jesus Christ and allow God to place us in the one who is good. And number two, we will be challenged to let people know the true definition of what it means to be good. When someone says to you they're going to heaven because they're a good person, ask him, well, what do you mean good? (laughs) What is your definition of good? And what if I had a different definition than you? And a billion other people had different definitions of what it means. Whose definition do you think God is going to use? His own. And so therefore you can then tell them what God's definition of good is. And hopefully, prayerfully, that will be enough to get them to consider, am I truly a good person or not? That is the good, the bad, and the ugly. Amen? Give the Lord a hand for his word today, if you will.